Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, but there is something we can do about it. This fall, more than a quarter of a million people are participating in the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's Out of the Darkness Community Walks, raising awareness and funds for research, education, advocacy, and support programs. Held in hundreds of cities across the country, the Out of the Darkness Walks let people know that they are not alone. Gives them courage to open up about their own struggles or loss in an environment of hope and healing. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has set a bold goal to reduce the suicide rate 20% by 2025, and they cannot do it without your support. Be a part of the movement that's helping create a culture that's smart about mental health. And remember, suicide prevention starts with everyday heroes like you. Find a walk near you and register for free at outofthedarkness.org. Again, that's outofthedarkness.org. Together, we can stop suicide. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, please do support everybody that supports us. We appreciate it very much. When you do, we, we uh, try to carefully select people that uh, support this program and uh, keeps wind in the sail of the Corolla Pirate Ship and lets me keep doing this thing. So today we're going to do all calls, and uh, those seem to be very popular, and uh, I dig them, and uh, so I'm happy to do them once in a while. So let's do it. Uh, first out, let's go to uh, Jeff, 28, Omaha. Jeff. Hi, Drew. Um, quick question here. Yeah. Um, so um, I take um, Vyvanse uh, and, and Lexapro uh, as prescribed, um, uh, and I'm wondering if there are any kind of long-term types of side effects when taking both of those for potentially a long period of time. Uh, theoretically, no, right? I mean, these things okay. have been studied extensively. But, so let's, let's kind of break it down. Lexapro is a very uh, relatively mild serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It's you know, it's been around for a long, long, long time. It's a, it's a specific racemic mix of a, of a SSRI, so it's very specific in its binding patterns. And it's you can use small doses, and it seems to be very effective for helping people with uh, depression and dysthymia. And it works. And uh, you, when you come off it, there's about a 50% probability, if it's properly prescribed, about 50% of people will have a recurrence. So there is a tendency to kind of leave people on it, and it depends how severe your depression was and what else is going on psychologically and stress-wise in your life. But the Lexapro, that's easy. Stay on it. If you start having side effects, the most significant side effect people complain about is sexual dysfunction. Now, I can't think of any permanent side effects from Lexapro that I've heard of, though occasionally the SSRIs, even Zoloft, usually the more powerful ones, will have a little withdrawal syndrome that's kind of unpleasant. Have you tried to come off the Lexapro? Um, I haven't, actually. I've gone up from, well, I guess, so I've gone up from 10 milligrams to 20 milligrams, and then Still I'm small. now on 40 milligrams of um, of, uh, of Vyvanse now. Okay. So I went the, from, I think, 20 to yeah. 40 Okay, uh, the, yeah. the Lexapro is still still a relatively weak medicine, and and occasionally you can get these little weird like electrical feelings in your head or down the back of your neck, and uh, um, some there are some medicines that very characteristically will have that withdrawal. Effexor, Paxil, will very much, very commonly have that, and it can be really unpleasant. I mean, and you have to slowly taper off these medicines to tolerate them. Um, but Lexapro, I've never seen that have that side effect. Vyvanse is a stimulant. I, I'm not a huge fan of psychostimulants in adults, but, you know, you're not an addict, yes? Um, I'm not, no. Yeah. So so I, for non-addicts, it's sort of neither here nor there. I, I, I don't have a strong – I'm not as comfortable with Vyvanse as I say would be with Lexapro, but I'm not aware of any long-term side effects. Gotcha. I mean, I guess it's 
like it, it helps me like certainly like focus and get more stuff done. Like I guess like the exec, I'm, I'm told anyway, like the executive function. Yeah, I think are working like a lot better. Yeah, um, I mean that's what it does. It. And, and, I, and look, and people get, they, their academic performance is better. Their focus, I mean, it does work. It's it just you know yeah. where there's any risk associated with it. And the, you know, it's somebody again on this combination, you work. Could you throw somebody into a manic episode? Well, if you're not bipolar, that doesn't really happen. If you're a drug right. addict, could you turn drug addiction? Well, if you didn't have previously have drug addiction, that's sort of non-issue. So uh, all things being equal, it sounds like uh, it's working for you, and that's good, right? Yo, I, no, absolutely. I guess I'm just kind of worried about like the long term. I mean, because like I don't abuse it. I use like I could use it once per like one once once every seven days, and I usually oh, the, use it the, about the Vivance. You're only occasionally right. using it. Oh no, right. nah, nah. Yeah, don't worry I, about so, it. So 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 if you occasionally, I mean, I, I use it when I need to get stuff done, yeah. but. But just with that usage, long term, there isn't. No, not really. A whole lot. Okay, I got. No, I, mean, I mean, no, it's. I mean, because it can't be dangerous, and I realize that. I just want to. You know. All right. I mean, think about the world we live in, where if there really was liability, believe me, the the attorneys would find ways to squeeze money out of the drug companies for That's sure. Fair. So that's fair. That's and fair. just make sure you're working with somebody good. Make sure that you know somebody's following you and, and thinking. Yep. In the, therapy. The, in well, therapy. yeah, yep. great. But the key thing is that that whoever's prescribing the Lexapro and the Vyvanse, when you see them every whatever it is, four months or six months, that they they focus and think about it. They think, mm, should we continue? Should we not? And what are the pros and cons? And and it's, ideally, you want to be on as little medicine as you can possibly be on. Let, let's face it. Right. right. All right. Makes th- sense to me. All right, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you. You got it. Bye bye. Uh, let's see. Oh, Eddie. Eddie, you want to know about this goofy diet I'm on? Uh, yeah, because I'm on it too, Dr. Drew. Uh, I started it kind of like the same time you did. And, you know, I, I, for me, it's been working out pretty good. For me and my wife, it's actually been working out great. Like, we have more energy. But she just doesn't kind of want to eat any more meat. She kind of wants to try to do things. So she was, like, wondering if you had, like, suggestions for, like, a like a book, like, for a recipe book. Um, Gary, does Vinny have any recipe books? I know, um, oh shoot, what is her Anna name? Vocino yeah, Anna Vocina has a book. Yeah, she has gonna... Eat Happy. I don't think that's quite as hardcore as you, but there's a lot in there that's that's really good. That's it, kind of it's not nearly alley. as hardcore as me, but it is a sort of, uh, anab- uh, or what would you say, a sort of ketotic diet, you know, sort yeah. of prone that way. And SNG is the way they describe it, but yeah, yeah it's no, a, no starch, no, 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 uh, sugars, sugars. no grants. And okay, and uh, Anna Vicino's book "Eat Happy." She's that's a, it's actually, and the and recipes are amazing. She's got a yeah. sequel coming out soon too. Yeah, I, I know Anna pretty well. I've, I, my wife cooks with her book before, I, but but I've been on this hardcore one, you know, with just meat and eggs and cheese. And man, I feel good. That's and man, much it's, what I'm at it's been easy to maintain. Although I got to admit, after about four months, I have some weird cravings. That I sort of, I, I may have to go out on donuts or something just just to deal with these <laughs> cravings. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But, I also uh, I, I just thought of a I just thought of another question for the Swole Patrol. Um, I I was wondering like how I, I live in a gym that doesn't have like heavy weights and stuff like that. Yeah, um, they have just normal weights. Like, do you have any suggestions for that kind of stuff for like people that don't Can't um, have, have that kind of like? What do you have there? What is it actually? Uh, we just have like dumbbells, like regular dumbbells. Up to what weight? All, uh, up to what all weight? All up to what weight? I is think the... it's like uh, I think it's like fifty five. Are you a big guy, small guy? I'm pretty big. I'm like five yeah. nine. I mean, if you can, I, you I can... was I was two fifty. Now, I, I, since I started this diet, I dropped down to, to two two thirty. And and no way you get access to a sort of an Olympic set of some type. They don't have any. Mostly, it's all like it's just dumbbells, and then it's like a lot of like running, like a yeah. running thing. Yeah, that's not air. that's not going to be your thing on this diet. 
Uh, no. Oh, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to get some straps, you know, for your for your hands. And you can okay. do and you can do lunges with dumbbells. You can do squats with dumbbells of various types. Look, look online. I mean, there there are creative okay. ways to do it, and there are also things you can do with sort of ropes and 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 um, the bands. But again, that's not really what you're looking for so much. But it's a start. And and you know, with up to fifty five pounds on the dumbbells, you can certainly work your arms, and you can probably work your chest. And uh, okay, you know, you got to get creative. You're gonna have to find stuff online, there, and, and you may have to go more towards high intensity. Rather than heavy weight, and again, maybe that'll work okay. for you. Everyone's biology is a little bit different. For me, the heavy weight was important, but I'm sort of geared up with all that slow twitch muscle, so that's me. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I mean, heavy weights because of football when I did it in high school and and in college football, it actually kind of helped me out more. Yeah, but then see, once you, I started, you got to get, you got to find a. Can't you join a gym or something? You're in San Diego for God's sakes. I, I could, but it's like it's expensive out here uh, and rent out here. But you, I, but you like should. Usually, you can find a just a grunt gin. You just need a bunch of heavy. You don't need a fancy gym. You don't need a, you know, Equinox. Like just like a like a like kind of like a mom and pop shop. Yeah, gym. just a, just some a bunch of iron, you know, in there and then some racks. Just you don't need anything okay. fancy. Just, do some research, right? All right, hey, thanks for your call. Uh, let's keep going here. Ooh, ooh, let's talk to, uh, Pete. Pete, what's going on there? Hey, Dr. Drew, how you doing? Good, what's happening? Good, hey, um, I'm a diabetic, had diabetic myopathy. I just had a cornea transplant about a month ago. Wow. Well, I tell me about wow. And it was really weird. My left eye, uh, it was, uh, nothing but a white sheet. They call yeah. it optic. They, they, I don't know what they, they call it. They fake it, huh? you. They fake you. Yeah. Yep. So... I took him, Dr. Drew, I took him 45 minutes to the operation. Why, why, why did you get so nasty with your corneal disease? What happened? Because I'm, I'm a diabetic. And I'm, I'm, I've been losing my sight slowly but surely. Yeah, but that's your, that's your retina. That's not your cornea. How did you get your cornea so messed up? I don't, I don't know. I wasn't in no accident or anything. And, and hang on. Shh. What's going on with your diabetes? I lose you? Pete. You got so excited you flew off the phone. Pete. There you are. There? Yeah, but I'm back. So what's wrong okay. with your what's wrong with your diabetes? What happened? Why aren't you well, managing your blood sugars? I'm I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm I'm very you know, I love my pasta. I'm Italian. So I, I try to get the low carb pasta. Pete. And I, and I try to, I know. I know. Why aren't you managing your diabetes? That's well, I, you can tell cuz in my eye. That's my problem. No so, bullshit. Bullshit. Okay. Okay. You. How many times a day you check? How many times a day you checking your sugars? One. Once a day. Shouldn't you be checking it two or three times a day? Yeah. If your sugars are out of control, we'll get on this. Let's get on it. Let's get tight control. That's how you prevent the complications of diabetes. That's it. I'm glad you got the corneal transplant. That's fantastic. I mean, God, we live in a time when, you know, what he's what he's talking about is. We look at somebody's eye, and we've seen this in movies and things where their their corneas are completely opacified; they're white, and so they take off his cornea and uh, put put a new one back in. Somebody else's cornea in. I had a uh, weird corneal procedure. Have I talked to you, Gary, about my procedure, my my radial keratotomy, my PRK? Yeah, the one that that I Strug- sidelined you right before that award ceremony. Oh so- my god. Yeah, we talked about it. But if I, but you just saw me in my misery. We've not really ever talked about it. I don't we? think you and I have one on one. We talked about it on A and D because you were so miserable, and Adam yeah. had to address it. But um, <laughs> no, I, I don't yeah, know the uh, the details necessarily. Aside, so from- they they essentially take off your cornea and laser out the eye in such a way that it, it laser out the 
It's much more invasive than than Lasix, which is just a flap in the cornea. This is sort of removing parts of the cornea. And then they put a lens on top of it to try to get it to grow back underneath that, which it does. And my cornea has been great, but I developed a complication called dry eye. And uh, I mean, when I say dry eye, I don't mean like what you think of as dry eye. I mean like every time my eyelids, I blink, it feels like there's like razor blades going across my eye. Ugh. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, I'm just – it's been almost a year. I'm just kind of coming out of it. So it's been uh, – the nights have been particularly tough, particularly tough. So uh, nothing to screw with, everybody. But uh, dry eye is a complication of both Lasix and PRK. Actually, it's supposed to be more common in Lasix. That uh, There's a New York Times article recently that pointed out that ophthalmologists aren't, po- aren't really emphasizing this. as a co- They don't see it as that big a deal. See a little dry eye, big deal. Oh, man, you can't imagine how disruptive it is. Uh, Danielle, what's going on? Chicago. Hey, Dr. Hey, Dr. Drew, long-time listener, second-time caller. Yeah, what's up? Um, yeah, so I was dating this guy for about nine months. He's wonderful, really stand-up human being, had no problems, I really thought that I could see myself with him. We went to a lake house together with a bunch of friends, and I saw him kiss his male friend on the neck. Good times. And, yeah, and I asked him about it, and he admitted to me that he um, is not sexually attracted to me. He never has been, that he's sexually attracted to men, and that he wants to be with his male friends. Was he trying to be straight? Had he not come out? What was he doing? So, yeah, so let me kind of give you the second part of the story. So I asked the same question, and he says to me, everything about this relationship is perfect. Um, I don't want to lose you. And I said, why are you saying this to me? Are you suggesting that I continue to date you and you have secret sex with men? And he said, yes. Oh, boy. Good times, huh? Yes. So, um, you know, the rest of the night kind of unravels. And, of course, I'm in this lake house with tons of other people, um, his friends. I'm two hours away from home. I didn't drive there. I was trapped. Um, And so I just kind of held it together and faked it that we were still kind of dating. Um, And so each night we would go to bed, we would talk about it. And I would ask him, like, why are you continuing to say that this relationship is perfect? Like, what is it that you need sexually if you still want to be with me emotionally? Like, what is that thing? Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, you know, what kind of porn do you watch? And then the first answer he gave me, he said, once you know, you can never unknow it. And then I felt kind of bad. So I backed off and I was like, okay, I've kind of crossed the line. And then I asked again the second night at the lake and I said, you know, tell me what kind of porn do you watch? And he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, obese boys. Obese boys. So what age? I was so off put that I didn't ask and I wish Mm. that I would ask. Okay. And so the second part of this is that I'm a physician and now I'm like, you know, I got out my DSM five and I was like, all right, tell me I, I needed all of the symptoms for a pedophile. And there are so many things that fit, and so like now my gut is like, fuck. I think, I think he's a pedophile, and now I'm like, I know I've obviously been in a ton of therapy since this has happened, mm. and I and I feel this strange obligation. One, you know, am I an industry reporter? And two, is this going to continue? And will he hurt people? Are you still involved with him? So, um, I really, really like his friends, and we're on, we're on a fucking volleyball team, so I go to the volleyball games, and so I interact with them, but only in, like, a really structured event where there's volleyball, and so I'm still in, like, a group tech. What, what kind of medicine yeah. do you practice? I'm a rehab doctor. Okay. PM&R. Okay. Um, what a mess, right? 
uh, he sounds a little sociopathic, right? Is he a sociopath? Yeah. yeah. He is lying to a lot of people, right. and like once I started to see the lies, I started to realize like how much he's covering up and appearing to be really, really perfect. Right. This is and not. Also, this is not just a, a gay male who's having trouble coming out. This is not that. I I don't think so. No, and that's no, no. What I thought it was originally. No, no, no. It be, because were it that, I mean, he would have enlisted your empathic concerns, right? He would have, he would have said, I know it's hard for me, and I I'm conflicted, and you would have felt bad, and you would have supported him. But this is like, but hang on, this is, this is understand. No, 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 no. You're an object for me and I need to use you right now. And you serve a function for me. And so, of course, you're going to cooperate. That's, that's sociopathic. And then I, I, you know, we, you don't know he's a pedophile, right? Just because he looks at weird porn does not mean he's a pedophile. Now, is he a consumer of, of, of child, child pornography is what we don't know. We don't know, right? I mean, all right. we know is he looks at young-looking obese males, and that, I mean, maybe, I don't know, we don't know what that is. So, you don't have, in, in Chicago, in Illinois, are you a mandated reporter? I've never been trained on child pornography. I mean, obviously, well, we, we don't even know that, we, we don't even know that he's consuming child pornography. You have a hint that he might be. I, I do you have a, um, boy. Yeah. Do you have a professional? professional society you can go to usually they have like ethics consultants and things you can talk to so my my i went obviously to my family doc because i was like you need to test me for all of these stds like right now yeah yeah yeah. which obviously we did and my family doc was like you need to go to risk management at your hospital and i was like what like i thought she was kind of crazy but listen to this the more i think about it the more i'm like i think she's on point she brought up she said what if he ends up getting caught and goes to jail. And what if 10 years down the road, a patient sues you? And what if someone knows from the internet that you dated a pedophile and your judgment comes Yeah, I, I, I mean, no, that, that is a pretty significant reach. I, I would start, I, I maybe, maybe, but, but I would start with your professional society and go, look, I need some guidance. I need some help here. Here's what I'm doing. And, and, and they and it may mean talking to an attorney too. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, there's a guy. Hmm, there's a guy in Massachusetts that helps physicians with things like this. I think his last name is Hillman. I, I could maybe I could, if you could hang on, maybe off the air and get, get you his referral. Um, and he's very okay. reasonable, and he just helps doctors and try to navigate ethical situations. Um, you want me looking for this? I'm sorry, I might have missed. That. No, no, I'm going to give it to you okay. during the break. Uh, during a little break. Uh, and, um, but yeah, I want you to, I'm going to put Danielle on hold and I want you to give it to her afterwards. Um, but risk management, maybe, I, I, I don't know. I, I, again, if you knew he was a pedophile, yes, but we don't know. And I, I would really, I'm much more concerned about the mandate of reporting and whether or not that has to happen. That's a much bigger okay. issue. And then if you it do, protects me. it's just, it protects everybody. And, and if you do yeah. the reporting, then, uh, then I would talk to risk management. Uh, but I think you need more information and more guidance first, because and, and certainly I'm not the right person for it. But I think I know where Do you, you think I should ask him. Do you think I should ask him the age? Not yet. So get get your information together first, because how how okay. what what is his and and then you're gonna have to ask. Well, what are they doing? Are they just standing? I mean, what? Oh my god. Yeah, you don't you almost don't want to. You know what I mean? I mean, do you really want to go down that? Yeah, I don't uh, even want to. <laughs> I don't want to know. Right. Um, 
but and it'll be clear. It should be clear already what your responsibility is after talking to your ethic, ethical uh, guidance uh, professionals or your professional society. Th- that should be. It's it's a very unpleasant, murky, disturbing situation. I'm glad you're in therapy. Have you? Yeah. Let me ask a question about you. In therapy, has it come clear why you'd be attracted to somebody like this? Um, we haven't gotten there. Yeah. Um, I'm also in like a lot. I also go to Al-Anon and I also go to CODA. Thanks to you. Oh, good job. (laughs) Good job. But I'm I'm wondering if, I'm uh, wondering if your parents or if you had some trauma or if somebody fit that kind of perpetrator profile that uh, was in your life early. I uh, don't know. I've really been thinking about that. And the thing is, is that, I mean, if I were to paint you a picture of this man, he's so kind. He's so gentle. Um, You know, I even asked one of his friends one time, I was like, do you think that maybe he's gay? And they were like, no, he's so kind and giving and gentle and responsive. And I was like, all right. like, And that was like his high school friend, you know? Yeah. But then, you know, he may have hoodwinked. He may keep people around him that he can keep hoodwinked, right? I mean, he probably carefully selects who he keeps around him. And... And uh, other people may be creeped out by him. We don't know. Maybe the ones that aren't around. Uh, or he may just be very good. Some of them are very good at, at uh, you know, hiding their pathologies. They really are. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I worry about your uh, your attractions. We, yeah, we got to pay attention totally. to that. Yeah. And, and, and um, uh, you'll learn something. So good. Yeah. I do want to share something because maybe this could help someone else. You know, because I'm in so many, like, groups, mm-hmm. I was like, there's got to be a group for people like me. And there is. There is a, it's called Straight Spouses Network, and it's for people who have been in relationships where then later the sexual orientation of their partner was different than what they thought. Very interesting. Very interesting. Has that been yeah, helpful? Very, very, um, I only went once and I wasn't quite sure it was for me and I kind of felt like my Al-Anon group was more helpful. Yeah. I may go back because I thought this would go away, but as the weeks get farther away from the incident, it's actually growing. Well, I, and we don't really know, I mean, group support's always helpful, but, you know, Al-Anon is a structured program and it has, it has a yeah. time-honored record of, you know, good outcomes with that, the specifics of those situations that... Al-Anon is appropriate for it. This other group is, yeah. it sounds like it's something that's early. It's, you know, it's a mutual aid society, which is great, but whether or not right. it's, you know, structured to really help, who knows yet. But, uh, all right, well, fantastic. And, uh, man, quite a story, Danielle. I thank you for sharing it, and thank you for being so proactive yeah. about it. I'd, I'd love to, I'll, I'll get you the name of that, that attorney in Massachusetts that could be very, very helpful to you, okay? Okay, okay hold on. Thank you. I'll hang on. Right, I'm going to take one more call before I take a break, or is it time for a break? I think it's time for a break. All right, it's time for a break. We'll be right back. If you like this show, you need to check out Divorce Sucks with celebrity divorce attorney Laura Wasser. Each week, she answers questions, shares anecdotes, chats with opinionated men and women, innovative thought leaders, and celebrities about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Her past guests include Sean Gold, her father, Dennis Wasser, and more recently, Chris Jenner. So check out Divorce Sucks with Laura Wasser weekly on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcast. One of the most crucial components of addiction recovery is accountability. Part of what makes addiction so difficult is the inability to self-regulate. Now, this is especially problematic for those in outpatient recovery or pain management program. And while the facilities require regular urine tests to ensure compliance, frequently the actual tests are not even observed. And this led to an epidemic of falsified samples where patients either use someone else's urine or widely available synthetic urine. 
The result is a lot of addicts carry right on using undetected and they get none of the benefits from treatment. The only objective test we have of it for addiction is the urine screen. Now, recently, I learned about a new solution that virtually eliminates the possibility of faking tests, even in facilities where they are unobserved. This is called ToxProtect, a DNA-verified drug test and lab service that provides 100% sample authenticity. ToxProtect was created by Genotox Labs. It can be used in place of any standard urine drug test. It starts with simple one-time cheek swab to establish the patient's identity. Once submitted, each subsequent screening uses DNA testing to verify that that sample matches the patient. In addition, ToxProtect screens for synthetic urine and irregular values that would indicate dilution or other adulteration. In other words, this pretty much guarantees accountability. I'm excited to see this service being used, and I think it, it will significantly improve an addict's chances for successful recovery. I'm going to be talking more about Genotox Labs and ToxProtect on future shows. Thankfully, ToxProtect is being used by more and more facilities every day. Be sure to ask for it by name wherever you or your loved one is receiving care. To get more information or share it with your facilities, go to drdrew.com slash ToxProtect. That is my website, drdrew.com slash T-O-X, ToxProtect. Purple mattress. I love these guys. We have one. I just went into the room where we have our purple mattress and laid down on it because I wanted to enjoy the mattress. We had friends using this bed, and they they were angry, actually. They bought a different mattress. Now, if you're struggling, you've got to try purple mattress. Purple's company history is the founders are two brothers who had been receiving cushioning technology for 30 years on things like medical beds and wheelchairs. And in 2016, they decided to use their patented comfort technology to create Purple, the world's most scientific mattress. It's different from other mattresses. You'll probably feel unlike anything you've experienced before because it uses the brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It's not like memory foam you might have tried before. The Purple material, the purple mattress material feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time. And that describes it. It is. So it keeps everything supported while feeling very comfortable, really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. It ends up giving you this zero-gravity feel, so it works for any sleeping position. And they have this 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you're going to turn the mattress for a full refund, backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping and returns, and free in-home setup and mattress removal. You're going to love Purple. You're going to love it. Right now, for our listeners, get a free Purple pillow with your purchase of the mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just go to purple.com. Use my promo code Drew at checkout. That is purple.com, code Drew. The only way to get the free pillow is to use my code Drew at checkout, purple.com, code Drew. And, of course, it's summer. Hydration is top of mind, whether you're exercising or lying on the beach. Hydrolyte, take it with you. Proper way to stay hydrated is with proper amounts of glucose, sodium, water, potassium. Hydrolyte does this better than any sports drink or water alone. In fact, Hydrolyte is the best oral hydration product I've ever tried. And it's good if, you, if you're ill, if you have nausea, vomit, whatever it is, this is our oral rehydration that approximates IVs. You don't need that anymore. Hydrolyte comes in great flavors like orange berry and lemonade. It's available as a pre-mixed drink, a powder, or what I prefer, the effervescent tablets. You just drop in a glass or a bottle of water. Now, compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. You can find Hydrolyte at Rite Aid or Hydrolyte.com slash Drew. Or for a limited time, my listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte. Just click the banner on my website and use the code Drew 18 at checkout, D-R-D-R-E-W-18 at checkout. 
That's hydrolite.com slash drdrew18. Use the code drdrew18 at drdrew.com. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. A lot of times that is not the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they are not available. Now with True Car, of course I'm talking about True Car, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by True Car, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a True Car certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Yeah, you know, and we talk about all the time. Using True Car, you can easily find the car you want. Next, True Car, TrueCar.com or True Car app will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network. Over 3,000 True Car Certified Dealers are available nationwide. You will get to work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer that you may contact with. And True Car users are more likely to enjoy a faster, better buying experience when they contact a True Car Certified Dealer. And on average, you can expect to save over $3,000 off MSRP. Once you register, you'll see a real price on actual inventory. Hook up with that True Car certified dealer. Have a better buying experience. True Car, go to the truecar.com or True Car app. Do what I'm telling you. All right, and we are back. And uh, Gary, give that uh, address, that email address to uh, Danielle. She'll need that. Uh, hang on there, Danielle. We will get that for you. Uh, let's keep going here. We're going to go on out to uh, Rachel. Rachel, go ahead. Hi. Um Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Um, I have been recently diagnosed with gastric phoresis, and um, is it, he wants to put me on a medication called, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but it's Donperidone. Droperidone, yeah. Yeah, even nausea yeah. and vomiting. Yeah, and to help, because I can't, I've lost like, 12 pounds in five days Mm-mm. and um, because I can't eat hardly anything. And I'm just wondering, I, I've read side effects and all this other stuff, but I just, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of worried about all the side effects that go with it. Like what particular, this is, this is old medication, been around forever. What's the problem? Oh, I, I didn't know it was old medication. Um, See, I have, um, I, I have um, fast heartbeat, mm-hmm. and so um, I don't know. I've just, I've never heard of it before, and so I guess I just, I, I don't know. I, I was just wondering what your thoughts were. On have you that. been on other psychiatric medications? No. No. And what kind of doctor was prescribing this? This was my gastric gastroenterologist okay. doctor. And if you have concerns, why don't you talk to that doctor about this? I have, and he he's like, <laughs> well, let's get your um, an EKG done, which I did. And um, so I got that done, and he said, well, you're fine. And I was just like, I don't know. I just, I felt like I kind of got like rubbed off and like Oh, okay. You're fine. Go for it. Be my guest. I, I don't know. It just—I just felt weird about it. Well, if you're not comfortable with your doctor, get another consultation. Okay. Right. I, it sounds like a very appropriate 
one of the appropriate medications, but there are many other things to do. And have you, do you have a diagnosis yet? Do we know why you're doing this? Um, well, I am a diabetic, so that, that's part of the reason why I have the gastric paresis. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think that's why he wants to put me on it because I've, uh, I'm on Compazine and Compazine isn't working for my nauseous. So, um, yeah, that's what's going on right now. And have they tried anything to help your gastroparesis for people that are listening is to help the stomach is paralyzed. It, uh, it's because you longstanding diabetics get this and uh, who didn't take great care of their blood sugar. When you were a kid, you must have had some uh, repeated episodes of ketoacidosis or something, right? I don't know. I just got diagnosed with the diabetic about two years ago. Hmm. So I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, and have they tried anything to get the medicine, the, the stomach to move more? Um, I just got diagnosed with it on Monday. So okay. Have they, why. have they give you Zofran ever for nausea? Yes. Did that work? Yes. Um, it worked in the past for my headaches, but now because I've been on it for so long, it's not working anymore. Okay. Well, Again, it sounds like a very complicated situation. You've been on lots of medication, and now they're trying another one. It's a mm-hmm. you know, it's not the usual nausea medication, but it, it's it's not unsensible. It's not you know, okay. it's not uh, you know, it's not like they're doing something particularly dangerous. And um, you know, you can get another consultation if you're not comfortable with that doctor. Okay. All right. Thank okay. you. All right. Good luck. Okay. I will continue to take your calls. Um, did you give that phone number to the to Danielle? Okay. Absolutely. Well done. Uh, this is uh, Paul. Paul, go ahead. Hi, Dr. Gill. Um, I have a question. I have a, a girl that I went to high school with. Yeah. Um, I'm 44 years old now, so I was 18 last time I saw her. Yeah. But we reconnected on Facebook, mm-hmm. and she was sober for six years. Mm-hmm. And um, she slept up. And I was sober for about a year. You and I slipped up too. But we've been communicating with each other. And uh, we're trying to get together, I guess. And I'm wondering if that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. She wants me to meet her at her brother's house. Uh, uh, Paul, You've called many times about your alcoholism. Uh, you have yes, not. Have. You yeah. haven't. You haven't taken much action that I can see. For a while there, it sounded like you were making some making some headway, but now you're back at it again. I, I think you're. Yeah, that's I, I think, exactly right. I, I think it's such a much bigger deal to deal with your alcoholism than to try to hook up with somebody. If she's using, you're using. Neither you're in recovery. I, I, you know, whatever. You might as well. Have, have some companionship. I'm okay with that, but she would end up kind of being a using buddy. It's not really going to help your alcoholism. Uh, people don't tend to get sober together. That tends not to happen. So I, I have no strong objection to this. If it makes you happy, my biggest concern is your recovery generally, because this has been t- trundling along for quite some time, and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's going to get bad. I mean, it's going to be disastrous eventually, right? You know, we've had these conversations. Yeah, I would actually, I took a week off of work last week. I went into a, I called the sheriff's department, and they, um, a police officer actually gave me a ride to uh, detox. Good. I actually went to the emergency room, and then Good. 
they brought me from there to a detox center. Good. And didn't you I didn't you have a there. didn't you have a problem with a roommate too? Like it was hanging out and wouldn't leave. <laughs> Wasn't that you? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, he's gone. I, oh, I, good. I, How'd I you get rid of him? Happened. How'd you get rid of him? Yeah, my therapist said that um, that's the number one thing you have to do. He well, actually showed back up, and um, I called the cops, and they said you can't. I remember. Um, I know. Him to leave. It was a very weird. And, um, I, you you educated me about that, which I found very bizarre that you can't force people yeah. to leave once they're living in your house. Yeah, so I uh, Facebook shamed him, and then he left. Good, because, yeah, that's a nice move. Yeah, hey, oh, my therapist Paul, helped me with that. Hey, hey man, what's it going to take? I don't know. You know, I'm I'm just um, I'm so sick of being lonely. Well, I, that's and, fine, but but because you, you know you can get sober, and there's a whole community there waiting for you. Yeah, I don't know. Those people are kind of weird all the time. I don't like that. That's why I like smart recovery so much because it wasn't all that alcoholic stuff. But smart, the, I have no objection. I have no, is that I, I'm, I'm I, an alcoholic. Right. You know, I have, I have what no. What are you going to do? Yeah. How do you think they look at you? Yeah. No kidding. Everybody else too. It's all the same. We're all the same. Uh, and look, I'm no objection to smart recovery, but uh, you got to do something. And I think maybe look for a meeting where you find more similarities than differences, and maybe things will work out. I, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't want you to be alone. I don't want you to isolate. I don't mind you having a relationship. It's just not going to help your alcoholism. You know what I'm saying? Well, what about um, about um, she's got similar interests as me. That's good. Just it's just people are using tend not to get sober together. It just doesn't usually work out that way, Paul. I got to keep moving, my friend. Good luck to you. I really I mean that. Uh, Josh, sociopathy. Yeah, hey, Doc. What do you yeah, got? I just wanted to. I wanted to know what you thought about uh, dealing with someone who might be. Tell me. I don't know, a sociopath. Tell a me. Sociopath. Go ahead. Well, well, um, you know, I, I think that I find that some people that I know they have sort of a. Um, it's kind of, not really really stalking me, but they kind of have that feeling where, you know, I've told them a couple times pretty clearly that, you know, I don't want them, you know, I, I want a, a certain boundary, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't feel like they have any empathy to what I'm uh, feeling. Well, that, that's, as far as, like, that's, stalking, yeah. that's stalking behaviors, and I don't know, you know, that could be a lot of different things. Stalk, stalkers right. don't tend to respond to uh, guidance. Right. And they don't respond to the way I'm feeling about them being around me, mm -hmm. uh, too. And so I just figure, well, this per person, their affect is so stale or, or shallow, it's like you wouldn't even be able to have a conversation with them. So, I mean, I'm asking you, but at the same time, it's almost like you don't deal with them. But at the same time, you have to kind of, you know, if you work with someone like that, what do you, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a, I just want to know if you had any secrets about how to deal with that. If you're working with them, is that what the question was? Well, yeah. I mean, if you happen to be close enough where you can't get away. I mean, sometimes, yeah. you know, you no, just know. avoidance. Yeah. What happens when avoidance is impossible? I, 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 I get what you're saying. A friend of mine wrote a book called Why Is It Always About You that talks about how to deal with, essentially it's about narcissism, but it, it applies to sociopaths as well. 
which is how to deal with a you know, narcissistic boss, narcissistic spouse, narcissistic you know, partner. And it's, it's, uh, each chapter is on how to deal with that. And so I, I would recommend maybe taking a look at that book. It's called Why Is It Always About You? It's, it's tough, man. You've got to keep your feet square on the ground and uh, be, be um, you know, you're, you, they'll make you spin, but just try to pay attention to your own internal states and keep your feet square on the ground. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Hey, Drew, thanks for taking my call. Long-time listener. Amen. You guys got me through through middle school way back when. Nice. But, but hey, I'm calling because um, I've got this clicking in my knee, my left knee specifically, mm-hmm. uh, when, when I squat. And it wasn't really bothering me up until um, a few months ago I decided to go back to the gym. And when I'm on the leg press, I can, like, literally feel like my patella shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I don't really know what's causing that, but I was treated last year by a physical therapist for some sciatica symptoms down the left, let the same leg. Yeah, and I, I since corrected that with a series of you know stretches. What, what's up with you? And, what's up with you at thirty having all these musculoskeletal problems? Exactly. What's up with me at thirty? I spent a lot of time as a driver. That was kind of like what my job was. Okay. So a lot of time on my butt. Okay. And I was told that that the, the performance muscle was clamping down on the nerve. Okay, got it. And then okay, and then, well, and that, then you know, that. Stretched that out, got it stronger, and then yep. you know got my ass back to the gym, and I've already cut a few pounds. So did you? Do you, are you, you excess? Know. Are you way overweight? I'm two thirteen and okay. six feet. Okay, it, it's it sounds like the way your patella is tracking is off, right? It's not, it's not tracking against the femur normally. And that can be a lot of different things. Uh, I'm, so you need to have an orthopedist take a look at that. I, I, I wouldn't do much aggressive with it. Maybe rather than leg um, squats, maybe you, I mean, rather than the presses or squats, you want to do some extensions and curls instead. See if you can just sort of stay with a more focused uh, mu- muscular movement. Does that make sense? Yeah, those, those are easier. Yeah. Specifically like even 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 when I'm at home and I want to squat down to shit, I don't know, clean out the litter box yeah. or something, you know, yeah. it, it's squatting back up, you I, know, it, that's when I hear the click. Well, the clicking is just sort of inflammation. Of course, it can be cartilage too, but but it just it, – it's really – it's the tracking of the patella. It sounds like it's off, and I, I would not do any squats in the meantime. Don't do things that can aggravate it. Go ahead and uh, start curls and press and uh, extensions. I think that will be – until you get an orthopedist to look at it, that will be much, 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 much better. Uh, Charles. What's up? Dr. Drew. Hey. hey it's a pleasure. Pleasure to um, What's up? I got two, two quick questions for you about alopecia. Yeah. Um, can, can it get, uh, can it cause me uh, infant trauma? Uh, I was sure. I was going to be my babysitter when I was an infant. I didn't know if there was a correlation between that oh, and like child, that trauma. Oh, childhood trauma? Yeah, I was, I was like a couple months old. Yeah. Uh, no. No. You're, you have, what kind of alopecia do you have? That's the thing. Um, it, I, I was originally diagnosed as a kid with alopecia areata. As a, as a child, called. as a child. Yes. Oh well, that you could have, and you could have traumatic hair loss like that in the immediate aftermath of the trauma. That can happen. Okay, because it used to grow in and fall out in patches, and I'd kind of shave it every once in a while, and then I shaved it around like middle school, and it completely never grew back until a huh. few years ago. And then, now, now I kind of get like some peach fuzz that looks kind of weird, and I have to shave it all the time, and I don't know if that. Uh, is that a sign of the, you know an immune system thing? Or well, when, when you say it, it's, it's, it's alopecia areata is patchy hair loss, right? So you have right, just right. you have one patch that has persisted. Is that the deal? No, I, I'm completely bald. I mean, I was completely bald until I started getting uh, to the 
little peach fuzz on the top of my head. And when you say completely, hold on. When you say completely bald, you've lost your eyebrows and that kind of thing too? Correct, correct. I've never had any body hair. Okay, so you have alopecia. That's called alopecia totalis. And, And there actually is a study going on right now at Yale where they're using, again, your history is so impressive because it started at such a young age, but they're using these essentially uh, things, the kinds of medications we would use for rheumatoid arthritis, say, and they're having remarkable results in uh, getting people to start growing hair everywhere again. So you might want to look into that. Look at look at well, the. I kind, of, I kind of prefer. I kind of prefer the. I'm <laughs> used to it. Actually. All right. Okay. I kind, of, I kind of like. I kind of like not having to shave or anything like that. But I've noticed that I've, I've needed to do that now, and I didn't know if there's any any response by me system. It is. It, it is. It's. It's not uncommon for uh, any form of alopecia for it to kind of come back. But your your story is pretty impressive that it started at such a young age. I'm, I'm not used to that. And so to say, hey, you can expect it to come back after a certain period of time. That, that's your case seems a little bit more exceptional than that. So okay, I, I can't hard to predict, Charles. But I'm glad you're cool with it. That's that's the good news, uh, Sierra. Hi, Doctor Drew. Hey there. What's happening? Um, I. I am uh, newly engaged, and uh, I'm getting older, so we've been talking about, um, I know, well, no, I'm, I, I'm actually, I said 29, but I'm, I actually just turned 30, okay. so I was like, oh, uh, I'm 30 now, <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, I want to know about allergies and uh, pregnancy, because uh, I live in the South, Nashville, in Nashville. Yeah. By the way, I would love you to be the minister at my wedding. Oh, my God. Just I'll just cruise on over just, to Nashville. Just putting it out there. Well, where, I did, it out there. Okay, well, I thank you for that. If, I, if I'm in Nashville at the time, who knows? I love Nashville. My son went to Vanderbilt. Okay, so. next, next year, next year. <laughs> um, and anyway, uh, I'm in, uh, so I want to know about um, if I can take allergy meds because I don't really want to take anything. Yeah. But, so, um, all right, so, so here's I'm my rule of thumb. I, my rule of thumb is pregnant women don't get any medication. That's my rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. However... I'm going to bet your obstetrician will let you use topical steroids, like Nasonex and that kind of thing. Oh, I, I, okay. I bet they would let you use that, but uh, I would not do much else, and I would only do it with the clear direction of an obstetrician. Okay? Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. bye. Uh, this is uh, Sean. Go ahead, Sean. Hey, Dr. Drew. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. You bet, man. Thank you. Just wondering uh, your advice on dealing with low self-esteem. I know you and Adam talk about it all the time. Not necessarily a horrible problem to have, but something that is a little bit of an issue. Yeah, I, I sort of wonder if we're, always, if we're necessarily talking about the same thing when we talk about low self-esteem sometimes. Um, Adam and I both have low self-esteem, and it has we both found it as something that motivates us to do better to try to be a better person and to you know we're always sort of compensating for feeling kind of down it's it's not a really comfortable thing to have low self-esteem right uh but it makes for me it makes me take responsibility for everything and if something goes wrong i figure it's my fault and I, on the bad yeah. side i have the sort of opposite of this dunning kruger effect which is I've, i always get this feeling that hey man if i can understand this or i can do it well or anybody can do it and that's not always fair to somebody i may be trying to teach something um and uh, it, it's a motivator, and it motivates in a good way. It's just not always a when you when it get creeps up on you. It's not always a good sort of mood state to be in. Are, are you talking about maybe being depressed? Uh, no, not not really. Just 
just kind of what you're talking about as well. Just looking. Uh, well, the, the, I, the, but to me, the best, the best. Uh, I, I, maybe this is going to sound glib, but for for me, other than good relationships and being of service and all those other, you know, being interested in things higher than yourself, all those good healthy things. The other thing is make something of yourself. Get get training. Keep moving forward. Keep keep building, and uh, let the, you know, compensate for that low self esteem by building a set of skills and the sense of yourself in the world that uh, the low self-esteem stops to being so bothersome. Does that make sense? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Thank you. All right, go to school. Build, do what you got to do. Be, be Adam Carolla. That's what he did with it. Uh, let's see. This is um, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Hey, Dr. Drew. How are you? Hey, man. Thanks good. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I had a question for you. I've heard you and Adam speak about um, the behavior of adults in like, you know, like late 60s to the early 80s yeah. uh, and the fact that they weren't always the best um, parents to children that were raised during that time. I was born in the early 70s. Yeah. Um, and I heard you kind of snippets of it over time. I just wonder if you could kind of speak to that in, in totality. I'm very, very well, curious about that, I, I mean, that what, topic and what went on then. What, what, we were, what we've been sort of talking about is a... I, I, I mean, it's a multiplicity of phenomenon. One is a self-preoccupation that emerged in the 60s and 70s, whereby there was this sort of ethos of uh, every man for themselves a little bit. There was a lot of um, self-help kinds of literature and movements, which were all about me and me and me getting my you know my experience and my cut and my share and doing what I want to do. Right. And at the same time, you know, be, being of service and paying attention, you know, raising kids and, you know, fulfilling your obligations, none of that was important. In fact, that was sort of – there were sort of systematic um, experiences and literature and things out there to, to to encourage people to forsake all that as just other people's expectations. You do what you want to do, man, whatever that happens to be. There was – you know, let it all hang out. Whatever it is, if, you're, if your impulse is to do it, it's right. In the setting of this, this, so there was that philosophy in the setting of a sexual revolution, right. and you you forget what happened before antibiotics for STDs and birth control pills, where people could control their fertility. There was this what was just unleashed was this sense, and I I really believe the Me Too movement is finally a backlash against it. That the sexual impulses of a seventeen year old male were the um the ultimate uh, expression of the human experience, that you right. should be having sex all the time, the summer of free love, whoever you want. And they were very unclear about what that meant because it was so whatever you're into is good that if you're into kids, well, who's going to stop you from that? If you're into whatever. It's a, so so it was there was a, a liberty to it. And, there were, they, and of course – there was good things that came out of it in terms of people being able to identify with on their sexual orientation or gender, whatever it might be. But the cost was people who were sort of constrained by the society at large now were unleashed. And they weren't unleashed on just one young person. They, were, they would do that too many. And, uh, and, then, and then that created an exponential growth there because a certain percentage of the victims became victimizers and it just started it started exploding. And there was a massive denial about it for about 20 years. I remember in the 90s I was talking about it. I was even trying to educate people about child-on-child sexual abuse. And literally local, local news agencies would show up and go, what are you talking about? This is – are you kidding? What are you, what are you – how dare you? And there was just no – and then in this, there was this McMartin preschool trial where the 
<laughs> the prosecutors sort of uh, created memories in kids that maybe hadn't even been sexually abused. And so the whole question of whether sexual abuse was being over sort of uh, stated prevailed for about another 10 years because of that sort of excessive exuberance in that particular trial. The, this, this idea came forward that most memories of trauma were manufactured. And so, therefore, they were ignored for another 10 years. And it really went out of control for a good 20 or 30 years. And then finally, we st- well, all the, all the addiction and all the psychopathology that grew out of it, it, pretty much everybody that was working in mental health was like, well, that's all we're dealing with now is trauma, sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect of kids. And that was, and that was from that period where family was looked at as, eh, just who needs a family? You know, we've, we've grone beyond that. We're, we're a more evolved society now. Family is just that's something from the ancient past that's where – and there was all kinds of, you know, again, political discussions about how women were po- property and this is an anachronistic system that has no business in modern society. And when families fell apart, children fell apart. And It's pe- interesting because a, a lot of my friends, you know, we're all Gen Xers. And yeah. we look to the generation above us and we're kind of like, what were you guys doing at the time? <laughs> right, um, right. And I guess it's, it's, it's why, um, uh, you know, Gen Xers are all kind of sometimes a little angry at times. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they are. It came out of that. Yeah. It's all yeah. that. It's all that. I mean, back throughout human history, there were certain things that we could rely on as a matter of fact as sort of a basic, a foundation upon which we could build our our regulatory system, our sense of relationships, and a sense of our purpose and place in the world and people we could rely on. That all got just blown apart. And it's not good for our development. It's just not. And uh, we're still paying a price for it. But uh, interesting question, Brian. I appreciate you bringing it up. Okay. Thank you very much. You bet. And last call here, uh, Matthew. Go ahead. Hi. Hey. Um, Well, um, you uh, you already know what my question is about. I've had a son um, six years ago, and I got a vasectomy soon after. And now I'm in the part of my life where I'm thinking that... um, now that I'm dating again, I want to go thinking about having kids again and um, wondered, uh, first of all, I think maybe I heard you say on another episode that you thought it was crazy that anyone would ever perform it, that it might be considered uh, At a 24-year-old, mal- yeah. yeah. Malpractice. Yeah, it was right after my 23rd birthday, 24th birthday. So, yeah. Um, if you had any thoughts about it, maybe... Um, well, I'm, he, this is, this he was, was the reason why I felt strongly about it, because people change across their 20s like crazy tell me about it yeah so you want to still try i mean you can't always reverse them uh that's for sure uh although i believe again you may have to go to university center to get this sort of thing done but i i believe they have ways of harvesting sort of i don't know if it's directly from the testes or wherever they they have ways of harvesting sperm and so that's something you can look into but uh in terms of reforming your plumbing that that may not be possible how do you mean how do I mean? How I mean that once once yeah, that it like could be it could be irreversible. It could be an irreversible procedure. I don't know. Oh. What, it depends what they did, and you know, it depends what the anatomy is. And somebody might be willing to try it certainly, and see if they can get things hooked back up again. That's uh, but you, you're going to need to go to somebody that does that. Uh, and again, okay. there are, there are other techniques to sort of uh, get at some sperm if you're really hell bent on having children. All right, buddy. Thank you very much for uh, being part of this and calling. We always like doing these call-in shows. We'll do more in the future. And um, go to drdrew.com, check on the uh, family of pods there, and also sign up for that contact list. Uh, look out on my Instagram. If you go on Instagram at, uh, at drdrewpinski, uh, I'm going to do some more sort of Instagram stories and things there. And so I'm, I'm 
interested in pulling together, you know, an audience there that we can interact when we do these Instagram stories and sort of I'm looking for places to do more love line esque kinds of interactions and I think that might be the place. So in any event, uh, thank you for calling. Thank you for being part of this but and uh, we'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.